Welcome to episode 9 of the My Mysterious Bible Podcast, where if it's mysterious, it's important. This week we're going to look at Satan in the Old Testament. Satan. This term is synonymous with the devil himself, right? Or is it? That depends greatly on which testament you are reading. Let's begin with a go-to Old Testament passage about Satan. Job chapter 1 verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to the pre- to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. I'm going to quote and paraphrase a little bit from my own book, The Divine Council Worldview Devotional. This is a scene of a royal court, a majestic king surrounded by his royal family. We in the modern West do not easily relate to these images. In the ancient Near East, also known as Mesopotamia, in the time of the Old Testament, it would have meant something quite a bit different to the people groups present than it does to us. Kings and their families were sovereign. Family members held positions of power and influence in these dynasties. Ancient Egypt is the most familiar image to most of us that would resemble this concept in its own ancient Near Eastern context. Pharaoh literally means great house, a royal family that rules and is headed by the greatest member of the family. This scene in Job is a staff meeting of heaven's royal family. Closer to our times, we can think of the princes or dukes who ruled as a representative of the king with vast empires of recent history, like the British Empire. Satan being present will cause some confusion. This isn't the devil. Fallen beings do not get to be in the presence of God in all of his glory without being purified. It would be dangerous or even lethal for them as is seen in Isaiah 6, when the prophet is called up to heaven. Isaiah 6, beginning at verse 1. In the year that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, and with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Verse 4, And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sins atoned for. So, as you can see here, the prophet taken up into heaven, whether it's in body or in spirit, I'm not 100% sure, is terrified about being in the presence of the Lord of the Lord in his unclean state until one of the seraphim, you know, purifies him with the coal. The serpent was cast out of God's presence in Genesis 3. The Hebrew in Job reads Hasatan, the Satan, and Hebrew, like English, does not allow a definite article to be used in front of a proper personal noun. I am Mike. I am not the Mike. 
All of the 27 uses of Satan in the Old Testament describe a function, not a proper name. Satan means adversary and is diverse in its use, such, such as for the angel of the Lord in Numbers 22, the divine prosecutor in Job, or an Edomite man in 1 Kings 11. I'm going to read now from the book Demons by Dr. Michael S. Heiser. Scholars commonly suggest that the figure of Satan or the devil as the arch nemesis of God is foreign to the Old Testament. The reason, as we have seen in our study, is that the Hebrew term Satan is not used as a proper personal noun in the Old Testament. And the term Satan is never applied to the original rebel of Eden, the serpent, in the Old Testament. These points are obvious and not in dispute in our study. However, the conclusion that the Satan figure in the Second Temple period and the New Testament is incompatible with the Old Testament is too hasty and exaggerated. Our study has shown that while the Old Testament itself does not evince the profile of the Satan figure that is prominent in these later texts, the material for that later profile can be found in the Old Testament. In other words, later writers connected data points they found in the Old Testament and applied those points to the original rebel. Surprisingly, few scholars seem to have taken this straightforward approach, i.e. that later Jewish writers used the Old Testament as the basis for the Satan figure. Rather, it is more common for them to argue that the Second Temple period Satan figure was a contrivance that emerged after the exile as a result of the influence of Persian Zoroastrian dualism. Riley's summary is representative. During and after the Babylon exile, however, Israel was influenced by the cosmo cosmological dualism of Persian Zoroastrianism. This system posited two warring camps of spiritual beings headed by twin but opposing siblings. or The Zoroastrian god and devil who fought for the loyalty of humans in deadly combat. To assist in the battle, the two had produced armies of lesser spirits, the angels and the demons. In one important text, the evil one declares to God, I shall destroy you and your creatures forever and ever, and I shall persuade all your creatures to hate you and to love me. Creation was their battlefield, and the present age was the time of spiritual warfare. At the end of this age of conflict, there would be a final battle in which the devil and his hosts would be defeated and destroyed in a fiery hell, and a new creation and a new age would begin in righteousness. That sounds pretty familiar to those of us that are familiar with the New Testament. There is both truth and fallacy in such thinking. On one hand, it would be foolish to presume that Persian Zoroastrianism contributed nothing to Second Temple Jewish thought. Our study has established that the ancient writers, including biblical authors, always were a part of their intellectual world. The providence of God in preparing them for the task of producing scripture meant they were part of their own world, not insulated from their own milieu. On the other hand, it is an overstatement to presume that the core elements of the idea of Satan slash the devil we see in Second Temple Judaism required Zoroastrian beliefs. Is it really coherent to presume that Israel alone had no conception of an arch supernatural enemy to Yahweh before the exile? The sort of intolerant monotheism put forth by the Old Testament writers requires a binary opposition in the outlook of biblical writers. 
Now we will look at the Faith Life Study Bible for further clarification. In the book of Revelation, the term Satan and the serpent, slash Nakash of Genesis 3, are conceptually merged. The correlation is logical. The serpent was the original opposer, adversary, slash Satan, of God's kingdom on earth. As such, the Nakash was perceived as the original enemy, the grand adversary, and again, Satan. However, when this correlation developed is less apparent. A number of non-biblical Jewish writings prior to the birth of Jesus developed a rich tradition about the grand adversary. Some of these texts use Satan as a proper noun in referring to that enemy. New Testament writers did as well. In summary, the term Satan is not a proper personal noun in the Old Testament, and it does not ever refer to the devil in the Old Testament. It is simply a term that means adversary. This changes during the intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. When writers begin to use the term for the serpent from Genesis 3, and this carries on into the first century AD in writings of that time, such as we, what we find in the New Testament. So this is a place where you really have to know what the term means in its own context. And the context is different between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So don't cross it over between the two. In the Old Testament, it simply means an adversary and never one time refers to the serpent of Genesis 3. In the New Testament, it is almost probably always used. I haven't studied that out fully, but I would probably believe that it's always used as a name, a nickname even, for the serpent of Genesis 3. And that's just because this, during the time between the two, the two testaments, the writers of that time adopted the practice. You know, the, the name fit. It was an insult even. It was the name fit for this, for this serpent, and it stuck, and he deserves it. It's not a compliment to be the adversary of God. So anyway, that will just uh, help you as you look at the term across both testaments. And uh, that's going to wrap up the episode for this week. Have a blessed week, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of My Mysterious Bible. Please rate us on whichever service you're using to listen. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes, please email me at mymysteriousbible at gmail.com. Join the My Mysterious Bible Facebook group. That concludes this week's episode. Have a blessed week.